Hello. Did you know Kurt Warner, Super Bowl 34 MVP, has two brothers both named Matt? Really? One brother was named Matt, and a stepbrother from his father's second marriage was also called Matt. Pretty incredible, huh? Now, the greatest show on turf played in the Jones Dome until an evil human named Cronky did Cronky things. Now, it hosts some of the nation's largest club, high school, collegiate sporting events. It hosts Garth Brooks concerts, motocross, and a lot more. So, check out ExploreSTL.com and see what's coming to town next. Now, today we got to talk to Jersey native Chris Birch. He has a soccer path that went from two club national championships with FC Delco to American University as a collegiate player. Then to UConn, Syracuse, Xavier, Atlanta United's Academy, Academy, to SLU, and now he's the newest Division I program right here in the backyard head coach at Lindenwood University. We talk a lot about soccer, even more about recruiting, and most importantly, we debate and settle the greatest halftime show ever. Hint, it's not Usher. So... Let's go. Hello, everyone. Howdy. Hi. Hi. <laughs> you got a case of the Mondays, Jared? Nah, I'm good. I'm just a little tired. Stayed up and partaked in uh, the festivities yesterday a little too late. Was a f- it was a uh, festivities-laden week, and yeah. It was a heavy one here. Heavy. Um, in honor of yesterday's Super Bowl, yeah. I'm playing the artist that had the greatest halftime show ever. Until Period. yesterday. Until, no, my God. That was... Purple. I'm not going to say it was awful yesterday, I. but it's not Prince... No, In but I or absolutely loved almost every minute of it. You did? Did the oh, Baritones yeah. cover Usher? And no, we never covered Usher. No. You're the only person I've talked to that said, heck yeah, that was awesome. I'm not joking. Oh, I loved every minute of I'm it. I'm indifferent about it. I don't think it was bad or good. I just thought it was blah. I completely agree with you. Compared I, to Rihanna last year or the weekend before that or uh, the, until Bruno, like from Usher to hold on, Bruno. Hold on, here it is. That's it. Well, no, I mean, that's the man. Here's what I'll say. I think the consensus is for the majority of the public that has an opinion on it. Prince is 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 up there, if not one or two. For me, I think the Black Eyed Peas was the best Mm -hmm. halftime show in recent history. You might get a little nod from uh, Miss Kim in her Jeep riding around when she's listening to this and doesn't admit that she listens to this. (laughs) (laughs) But um, maybe a second or third place there. Uh, I I will give Usher credit. He came out right out of the gate. He wasn't lip syncing. No, he was not. Straight up. He was performing, so... Who's Alicia Keys married to? Uh, don't know. That's a good question. She's gonna Google but it. she is married, so we'll figure that out. And, and he got married over the week. Uh, apparently, Usher got married over the weekend in Vegas before the, the show. And maybe they're so all cliche. friends. And I'm not the jealous type ever. You can ask my wife. Um, 
the Usher embrace from behind on Alicia Keys. Swiss Beats. Swiss it, Beats is who she is married to. Yeah. I like, and we're all tight here, and like, it wouldn't be appropriate for you to grab my wife the way Usher grabbed Alicia Keys. Don't uh, don't check your <laughs> ring camera. <laughs> Zach was over there. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we're uh, we're down here at Maggio's Cross Street from uh, Mecca, also known as City Park. Um, Want to toss out a quick thank you to Explore St. Louis, and which brings me to just quick conversation I want to have because ExploreSTL.com. We've talked about it before. You don't know what to do. Go there. Cheat sheet. It's kind of like that little crib notes that you used to take in college so you get through the midterm. Explore is that for St. Louis. But this past weekend, as we alluded to just a second ago, it was festivity-laden, uh, starting with Mardi Gras. Yes. And, Zach, you were, uh, you were in the belly of the beast. I was, yeah. I actually did not know that this was a thing, but I was telling Jared before we were on the air that I took a ride from City Park here, Clark and 22nd. On a lime? <clears throat> no. Hmm. There is a golf cart taxi service in downtown St. Louis. Sounds super safe given that nobody stops at red lights. They don't. full-size cars. Yeah, and neither do these guys. So no traffic laws uh, abide to buy. But <laughs> they gave me a beer. It was $10. And it was $10 total. Anywhere you want to Cash? Get. Cash. Do they take Venmo? I think they do. I think okay. they do too. So twelve bucks. Just a little PSA. <laughs> it's not a bad option. Just be prepared to be a little so, scared. So Mardi Gras this year down in Soulard, um, if socials are accurate, looked like it was another up year because the weather was. It was nice. It was not too cold. Yeah, it, not it, sunny. No but precipitation. Holiday. So it was forty-ish. I saw you on that golf cart leaving Chris's because I ate breakfast I at saw Chris's. You. you see me waving at I you? I did see you, and you were bundled up like Nanook of the North. And I'm going to tell you, it it looked it was cold on that golf cart that morning, driving with the wind. With the wind, it was it was definitely chilly. Um, but we were outside most of the time in Soulard, uh, and my brother had his house lit up, and he had a nice outdoor patio with a big fire pit, and uh, we had a good time. Yep. We're, we're but there were a lot of people. I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. Were you drinking liquid death? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, well, actually, every other beverage that I had was water. But was yeah, that every 20 minutes on, on the touch <laughs> no, mark? No. Stopwatch? No, actually, I was pretty tame. That's why I'm not allowed to go to Mardi Gras, because I can't do every other beverage. It, I, I had to because it was. <laughs> hey, what's your ratio? Four to one? No, he never four, drinks water. No, or thirty-eight no. to zero. Thirty-eight to zero. Never drinks and water. And I'm not allowed to go to Mardi Gras. My 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 family, just in general, my family has said <laughs> you can't go to Mardi Gras. It has nothing to do with life. It's just a family thing. You're not going. Define so go. define family. Dad, uh, oh, your dad kid. says it too. Yeah, just that, everybody's like just those don't that go. care about him. <laughs> I tell you what, we'll go next year. <laughs> All right. I got shotgun. We'll bring dad. <laughs> um, what are you doing? Oh, do I, oh, I got a bug in my beer. Yep. You got a bug in your we'll beer. We'll get another one. Yep. Hey, so anyway, explorestl.com because the next big event, um, the, uh, kind of looking out, St. Patty's Day. Yeah, and we're going to be out of town. Are we? Yeah, we're going to be in 
We or you? We, as in the club, our boys are out of town on the 16th of March, mm. which is St. Patty's Day, and we will be in. Are you allowed to party on St. Patrick's Day? Yes. Can you My go wife's out in Irish. But can you go out on public? Yes, I in can. Public? Uh, thank you. We uh, are in Vernon Hills against FC United for a day game, and then City uh, is at LA Galaxy, first team, that night. Well, that's a maybe for me then. It's a one-game weekend. One-game weekend. Yep. FC United. I might be a Mardi Gras. Okay. Um, <laughs> Say Patty's Day. You're, you're yeah. thinking about it too, right? Hey, we're gonna we're gonna pop out a couple other thank yous here real quick. Then we're gonna take a break. Roll in our guests. Uh, Ambush uh, came out on the wrong side over the weekend, but I did see all the photos of uh, the alum. They had the alum game. I gotta tell you about the game. So did you, did you go? I did not go. I, I, I passed on four tickets because of the festivities for Sunday, which we'll get into. Um, apparently, it was a long day at Family Arena. That day was an eight-hour day. They had the alumni game. Mm-hmm. They had a MASL Ambush 2 game. Then they had kids' games in between all the games. And then they had the first-team game. Yes. Uh, DJ Prue, who, who I know I'm getting to know, he was there from three o'clock in the afternoon till midnight. Sounds like family fun time. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of the programming. Family arena. <laughs> yeah, um, they got they got a couple home games coming up here over the next thirty days. Go to uh, St. Louis Ambush online at dot com. Get your tickets. Check it out. Um, Chris, Bill, and Pete. Pinnacle Loans. The Pinnacle Loans dot com. Uh, make everything easy, right, Zach? That's right. Super easy. Um, we're going to get straight into our pinnacle points of the day. Um, yeah, I'll go first. I referenced the... Um, Youth before beauty. Go pinnacle ahead. point <laughs> number one. Um, it's the Monday after the big game. Super Bowl Sunday um, was yesterday. And, I, you know, I watched it. I watched some of the stuff leading up. I think it was a good game. We, we briefed... We, 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 we uh, briefly touched on the halftime show. We gave our opinions there. But, you know, I was just surfing around today, and here is some Super Bowl facts for 2024. Knock your socks off. The average cost of a ticket to the past five Super Bowls, how much is it? Average cost? Average cost. 4,200. 6,680. Who says there's a recession? Okay. The, do you know what the estimated in, uh, impact for the economic impact for Southern Nevada was um, with, ho- with 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 hosting the game there in Vegas? Well, now wait a second though. Are they counting like gambling? Well, yeah. Total dollars. I spent? think what they're they're counting is, is the like total influx of, of of people coming for the two, week. Two point five billion. I, you know, I thought it'd be high, I, I thought it'd be around there. It was only one point one billion dollars. Only. But I mean, think one point one billion dollars. It's it's interesting. Allegiant Stadium it cost one billion dollars to build, so they host one Super Bowl, and the total economic impact from the surrounding area is one point one. Did they include Usher's wedding fees? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought this was an interesting stat: sixteen point two million Americans plan to watch the game at a bar or a restaurant instead of at home. Yeah, I've never watched a Super Bowl at a bar or a restaurant in my I, life. I don't think that I have either. I've watched like no, I, division well, championships I, look, and things I, like that. I've been in and around the bar business for a long time. Super Bowl Sunday is not a good day. It's just not. People are at home. All right, they last went, fact. They went Velveeta cheese dip. 
And this is what I thought was, you know, and everybody wants to watch. And I actually watched more so this year than I ever have. I watched the ads. And then the the, the, the people that I kind of polled, um, most people were not happy with the ads. I don't think anybody. I like the messy the commercial. Did you see the messy commercial? Well, I have a favorite one. Yeah. yeah uh, and you probably like the Dunkin' Donuts one? Nope. Okay. But no, if you think about it, you guys know which one was my favorite. Here's the stat. There's been 192% increase in the cost of a 30-second Super Bowl ad in the last 20 years. So from 20 years ago, it cost 192% more to have an ad spot for 30 seconds. And Temu had three of them. How much Four money did they four. spend? Yeah, the, 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 <laughs> the business that is dollars. literally not accredited by the Better Business Bureau, they're like, nope, it's fake. <laughs> <laughs> like if you Google, oh, it, I know they are fake. No, um, Ma- Mandy, my wife talked about how a lot of her students try to order cheap stuff on Temu, mm. and it never comes. Is that where you ordered your uh, deer fence kit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she was saying, when we were with other friends, and they said, "Well, I guess I've I've been afraid to order from Temu, but now that they won the Super Bowl, I guess they're legit." I was like, "That doesn't mean that the legit. That means they have a lot of money from." Something <laughs> doesn't mean it's not legit. providing a service. I'll give you my pinnacle point of the day. I'm going to stay on the Super Bowl and the commercials. The best commercial by far, the uh, make fun of pickleball e-trade with the two babies. <laughs> the babies, yeah. I knew you were going to go with that one. <laughs> that that is good. totally where I was going. As soon as they start going, I'm like, this is it. You know, we don't need to like be sad or mad or make a point. Just make fun of what they say, oversized or uh, aging tennis players. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, they weren't wrong. But... My, I think my favorite was between the Sarah Vey with Michael Sarah, yeah. which I thought was hilarious. I'm going to moisturize you with my cream. He's rubbing the side of a mountain. And Michael Sarah is your he, type of. He humor. is my. Well, speaking of, speaking of him, I've uh, kind of fell back in love with the uh, Savannah Bananas on socials. Yes. <laughs> they signed him to a one day deal. <laughs> oh, John Cena too. John Cena did a. a yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Sorry, I had the wrong guy. No, Michael Sarah is from uh, Arrested yeah. Development. Yes, John Cena. But John Cena was was on the Savannah Bananas for a day. He came out, he day. put the uh, belt on. It was <laughs> and the, the movie, point? McLovin. What was that movie? He was in that movie. He was good in that movie. Yeah. Uh, but go ahead. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Super, super bad. Yep. Go ahead. Uh, so prior to the Super Bowl, my team that I, I support most of the time, or watch, I shouldn't say I support, I watch, is Man City. They did a little poll where they asked all the players as they're walking into the training facility. Yes, Holland is the best. <laughs> what, who they who they thought was going to win the Super Bowl? Chiefs or or Niners? Yeah. Most of them had no idea who the 49ers were. <laughs> <laughs> but they all kind of picked the Chiefs, except for Kevin De Bruyne, who said, "I want the Chiefs to win, but I think the 49ers might be a better team." He was the only one that they that they interviewed that said. Anything other than the Chiefs. Which falls in line with your love affair with him, given that he's the most cerebral yes. player on their yes. team. Yes, so I loved that more. part. He's like, well, I, I want them to win, <laughs> but I think the 49ers can win. Uh, so that was that was a, a fun one. And then your uh, boys in blue, how'd they uh, end up today? I'm not watching. Tell me. <laughs> I don't even I, – I, I stopped watching. <clears throat> but Connor Gallagher scored his first Premier League goal. Really? Yeah. So it only cost us uh, $48 million? And one American. Huh? Yeah, and an American. <laughs> yeah, who's the you know, player of the month? And uh, yeah. the La Liga. In, yeah. They were down 1-0 at half within the, 
there was a, a technical issue with the referees, so they had to start the game late, the second half. Why? Because they were too busy laughing that Chelsea's on the field? <laughs> I think so, in their mint-colored uniforms. Uh, but they um, they scored that in the first, I think, first 30 seconds of the second half. Yeah, we're not here to talk about Chelsea today. We're here to talk about <laughs> college soccer. Okay. <clears throat> and yeah, drink some beers. Be a good one. And go from there. Um, down here at Maggie O's, uh, thank you to ExploreSTL.com. Ambush and ThePinnacleLoans.com for all the support. We're going to get some refills and when we come back, we'll be talking uh, college ball and beyond. See ya. Later. Prince, Prince wins. The secret to a successful home search in today's market is speed. It's crazy, right? With such an incredibly low number of inventory homes to choose from, compounded by a whole region's desire to not hang pictures and televisions in plaster walls anymore, the Pinnacle Loans team has you covered. With a network of agents, feet on the ground, and technology that expedites the underwriting and approval process, they can help you close on your new home fast. And it's easy. So, Go to thepinnacleloans.com to get the process started. Ditch the masonry anchors for drywall screws. Here you go, Jared. Oh, little black eyed peas. Gotta get dip. I'm telling Gotta you. Get dip. Maybe it was just the weird Gotta time in my dip. life. I, for me, it was the best Gotta Super Bowl performance dip. in general. I just don't know how Gotta you compare to Gotta a guy. Who does a quick change into roller skates and oh still sings out loud? That's Here, a- Keith. Oh, what happened to your muted mic there, Zach? <laughs> I, I don't know why you hate on it. I don't know. Gates. Uh, well, our guest, real quick before um, we get going, let's just settle the debate. Greatest halftime show ever at the Super Bowl, and why is it Prince? <laughs> no, Michael Jackson. Oh, 1993 in living yeah. color changed the game they were losing 20 million viewers so they go we gotta we gotta spark the halftime michael jackson comes on stands there for about a half half the halftime show <laughs> but that was just as impressive as his music yeah wow that's valid i mean there's metrics behind that okay well that was a great episode yeah. guys we'll see you next time <laughs> thanks for having me guys <laughs> been chris, chris how's it going man chris birch with <laughs> lindenwood soccer appreciate you coming and joining us thanks for having me this is awesome yeah we've been uh we, we were ping-ponging for a while trying to get it set up um but but anybody that knows anything about you in the program you're busy so it's a little hard to peg you down to get you on a mic these days how's uh we're coming up uh, we're just past your one-year anniversary right that's right um one year reflection. Just give us a, give us the quick elevator on your first year. How'd it go? A lot of fun. The transformation um, has been tremendous. It's been a learning curve every single day. I think the growth, transformational <laughs> mentality of our guys is has been fun, and I'm very proud to be the head coach. And uh, I, you know, if anyone stepped foot on Lindenwood's campus, they realize how special this place is. So I'm 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 just scratching the surface on what we're doing here. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, you're, that, that is that's refreshing because you know keeping tabs and, and born and raised in this area and just kind of watching your last year's work. Um, you know, for our listeners, you started in that January, got the job. Congratulations. You know, going from D two to D one and being instrumental in kind of that that switch over. I what I thought was awesome is the first class you brought in. You, I, I think if my numbers are right, you brought twenty one guys in. 
you brought 10 freshmen and 11 transfers. And, and, and explain what retooling that is from D2 to D1 with a new, the new coach coming in. And, and clearly you didn't try to just bring transfers in to get wins. You're trying to build a culture there, it looks like to me. And can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, there's no perfect model in college soccer. I think everybody has to use what's beneficial for them. Some have academic standards, some have loopholes, some have funny money, whatever you want to call it. And I just believe in trying to build the best team I can from the ground up and foundational level. And so for me, it always starts with the best people. I'm not, I don't get paid, uh, believe it or not, guys, I don't get paid millions of dollars to do this. So I truly want to be around people I enjoy being around. Um, so the character, the personality, the mentality, the academics, all that is such foundational stuff, right? And so from there, you know, whether we're coaching soccer, we're hanging out in the locker room, we're on bus trips, hotels, like it's so important that I enjoy being around them as a person. Mm -hmm. And from there, they're so easy to coach. And so it's been very, very fortunate where like uh, when I first took the job, um, I probably had three, four, five guys that instantly committed not because of Linwood. I don't think half of them knew where Linwood was. They committed because of me. And that, I don't say that to brag. I say that because they either I treated them right somewhere along the line or coached them right or I built a good relationship. Some guys I coached in the past, some um, I recruited in the past and actually never coached, and other guys I did coach. But those guys committed to the vision and the mission of what we're on. And then, by the way, they also learned that Linwood's a pretty special place. So I, I'm very fortunate those guys initially committed. And then from there, um, you know, it was it was one of those things where if I kind of got people on campus, they instantly almost wanted to commit. It's that special of a place and academics and St. Charles and what we're doing. Um, so look, it, it's not for everything. We don't have this massive, massive brand name, which I'm okay with. I don't want to have people come as followers. I don't. I want people to buy into the vision and the mission of what we're doing and 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 be pi pioneers and do something special. And so I I wanted those guys and those who committed to it are first in. I kind of equated to a little bit of Apple stock, I don't know how many years ago, 15, 20 years, where <laughs> Apple was kind of a dying brand. And, and now you look at it, you're like, no, 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 people who are too young don't, don't understand it. Yeah. The, the brand was dead, you know? And uh, some, some innovators came in and had a vision and did an unbelievable job. And so, not that we're Apple stock, but we, we kind of believe like the, you're getting in at the ground level now, it's only gonna grow and be something special. Well, so let, building let me, that team was based on the transfers and freshmen and balance group. Let wow. me ask you this, because you're, when, when you look at, when we look at your resume, when anybody looks at it, you see schools like UConn, Xavier, SLU most recently, you know, these are, these are household names in collegiate soccer and, you know, and some of the most historical ones as well. You come into a program that is literally a day one, you know, day one, year one, within that realm, within that uh, pedigree of D1 powers, you know, power clubs in a soccer city in, you know, in St. Louis, where, you know, just down the road, you've got SLU, you know, et, et cetera, and SIUE across the river. Talk about, like, your, you know, maybe that initial reaction to... You don't get to go in and work on top of a foundation like a Xavier or a UConn that's been there for a while. You're at a, to a degree, you know, fresh dirt. What, what were some of the things that you wanted to focus on out of the gate outside of that player culture? What were other things that you now are doing because you're building it kind of fresh? Yeah, absolutely. I think you get very few chances to get a Division One program that you can kind of make it your own. And, and it, I wasn't the first person, obviously, when it transitioned to Division One, but very close, right? Um, 
but within that, my DNA is all over this thing, start to finish, and succeed or fail, it falls with me, right? And I'm and I'm very proud of the staff I have, and uh, I think there's 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 very few chances to get something from day one and kind of make it your own. And so I was able to do that, and uh, and and the vision of the. The athletic department is so incredibly supportive of soccer at the school and, you know, as you alluded to with St. Louis, this is, I've lived all over the country and I've been in some incredible soccer markets. Mm-hmm. This place is different and the, and the athletic directors know this. They understand that I, they won't have a soccer team, men or women, that won't win. It, it's just winning is important to this city and soccer is embedded in the culture and it's why I love this place. I, I, I've lived all over and I, I don't plan to leave here. I, this place is awesome. And so I'm very fortunate that I was able to not move my family to, to take on a, this new project. And maybe I like things hard, but I, I'd rather have it hard than easy. And I'd rather be a pioneer than a follower. And that's just kind of how I am. And uh, I don't need a big shiny things for people to, to come here. And that's the reason to come. I'd rather people come because they're going to do something special. And this is going to be a special time in their lives. I love that. I love that. And I, I, I'm curious because most of us know that you were at SLU prior to Lindenwood, and then obviously JB and Jared have alluded to UConn, Xavier, but let's kind of back up a little bit and, and let our listeners know where you did come from and how you got to this spot. So can you kind of walk us through kind of the early Chris Birch days playing and then getting to American and kind of go from that route? Absolutely. Um, this is where I think I'm very, very lucky. Um, if there is an American kid that has better coaching than I had growing up, I'd be shocked to hear it. And I'd love to hear it because I had literally the best coaches almost of all time in U.S. soccer. I've had Olympic team coaches, national team coaches, guys who coach in MLS, overseas, wow. one of the winningest high school coaches of all time. Um, if I was foolish, I wouldn't have absorbed knowledge. I, I, I like to be a sponge. I tell my guys to be sponges, just absorb knowledge. You can use it how you want, but absorb it, right? And so, um, yeah, I started, I, I grew up in New Jersey, believe it or not. That's not a sin to anybody. It's, uh, <laughs> it's all the running jokes out there, but... Uh, it's, it's just a suburb of New York. It's all, it's all good, man. Well, with, the, with the World Cup final. <laughs> that, hey, with the World Cup exactly. final. Yep. That, that yep. suburb. Hey, uh, Jerry World didn't take it from us. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, the funny thing is I actually lived on a farm in New Jersey, like off a farm in a dirt road until I was a teenager. What is a garden state? Exactly. So. I lived in gardens and everything, but nobody believes it, so don't tell anybody where I lived, uh, otherwise it'll become a city. Um, yeah, so I, I grew up in New Jersey, went to school in Washington, D.C., and then um, I thought it was very close to potentially playing professional soccer, either uh, in MLS or overseas, and I had very close. I was healthy my whole life. I got hurt, and then uh, fell into love with coaching. My dad was a coach, um, teacher and coach, and uh you know, he's an Olympic qualifying runner type of thing. Um, and so coaching slash athleticism was something I was involved in. And then my parents always said, you'll be a great coach. You'll be a great coach. And I'm like, well, I want to play. I want to play. Every kid wants to play. Every, you know, ask anybody. And yeah. so got hurt. And then I had an opportunity to start at UConn, which was something I don't think a lot of guys get to do that <laughs> amazingly in their first opportunity. And so that, well, that I, changed I, my love for coaching. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some speed bumps here because you're kind of casually glossing over some – you know, talking points here. Uh, your youth club was Delco, correct? Yes. FC Delco? Yes. Um, they're pretty good. Yeah, yeah. they're not bad. I right. mean, they're no Bush Soccer Club, but they're pretty good. Oh. <laughs> you got to bring that club back. That, that, that club's amazing. I see a jacket here every there and now and then in oh, town. Yeah. I love that. So while you were there, if I, if I read correctly, uh, two national championships with Delco? That's right. Yep. 
So t- talk about the landscape that you were co- that you were playing in because I'm going to apply this to later in the conversation. Um, you were playing academy basically, but you were also playing high school, playing both. Yeah, we did both. Yep. Uh, talk about your club days. You know <laughs> what? You know because obviously Jared, you know uh, we all talk about the, the club environment here and teams like Bush, teams like Scott Gallagher, etc. Delco is one of those names in the Northeast that you guys were that. What was it like when you were a kid playing on that team? Did, did you know? Did you know that soccer was always going to be in your blood? And you know what was the experience like as you were leading up to your college years? I think growing up in New Jersey, um, there's just people are just very competitive um, in general, whether it's soccer, basketball, football, whatever. Um, and I'm very competitive in general. I'm very self-disciplined. I'm very wired. Um, you don't get to do big things in your life without having big dreams. And so, um, yeah, I, I grew up in Jersey. Anytime I thought I was a better player on my own club team, I would leave the club team and go to a, an older team. So, so I would get knocked down and be the 16th best player and then work my way up to the top top five, whatever. And then if I did that, I'd go to the next team. And so um, I just always kind of envisioned I was never good enough. Um, and always, you know, kind of said there, I'm always number two, someone else is number one. And just whenever I thought I was good enough, I wasn't. And so whether that was ODP, ODP back in the day used to be, you know, pretty important. Um, and then all I wanted to do was ever make the, the ODP team. In, in the New Jersey team, we, I don't think we lost a game in six years. Um, it, was, it was like if you could play the New Jersey ODP team, you were probably as good to make the national team. It was that talented. And then uh, that era, definitely. It was unbelievable. Right. And so. Uh, and then I was just like, you know, then I made that a number of years in a row. And I was like, oh, if I can make the regional team. And then I was like, oh, I won't make the regional team. I'll just keep working harder. And, and I made the regional team. And the next thing you know, I'm in the national pool. And it's like, uh, do I think I'm as good as those guys? No, I always doubted myself. But at the same time, I was like, I'll just work harder. And I'll, I'll listen to my coaches. And then so, yeah, I essentially, one of the best things that ever happened was I kind of just kept joining different teams, which says, hey, you're a right mid on this team, you're a center mid on this team, you're a left back on this team, you're a forward on this team, you're a center back. I'm like, well, I'm not very tall, so I can't be a center back. But every position, every coach saw something valuable in me, but the most important thing was the honesty, right? And I always felt honesty in a player is is one of the top things I look for when I recruit. Um, Because soccer players are soccer players. You don't have to be a certain size or shape, and I'm not that. I'm not gifted athletically, but I was – my heart was bigger than everybody and my willingness and work rate and coachability was through the roof. And so I felt that that was translates to all these special coaches that I had growing up and they have a lot more knowledge and experience than I had. So I just figured that that gave me a lot of opportunities with Delco and high school and, uh, and that provided, you know, division one opportunity and all those th- kind of things. So let's, let's talk about that junior, senior year, high school. Um, if you're playing at Delco, you're in the ODP pools, um, People are knocking on the door. You're getting the conversations. What was the recruiting process like for you personally, you know, looking back at it now that you have spent so much time of your career focusing on recruiting? What was it, you know, how would you reflect back on your own experience, the good, the bad, and what led you to American? Yeah, it's a million-dollar question and then two-million-dollar answer. Um, you know, it's like, you know, you're in high school, and obviously you're kind of one of the better players in the team, and you think you're, you're good and all that, and everybody tells you great. And then you go to your club team, and you play these massive tournaments, and things change, right? And so um, I joined Delco simply because I was on an older team at Princeton Union at the time, which uh, uh, Bob Bradley coached the team, and then uh, Carl Shellshite, to Manny Shellshite, famous Manny Shellshite, 
all those type of people. And we had like wow. seven, eight, nine national team players. And I was a year younger than these guys. And I'm like, I got to join this team because I got to, that means I got to suffer every day. I got to, I, I got to eat right. I got to sleep right. I can't show up one day not prepared. I, that's how I envisioned making it. Right. And then eventually we got to the age where like they were 18 and I was like 17. I was like, well, if I stay with this team, I'm not going to be recruited because they're already all picked off and they're not looking at me. So that's when I went to Delco and then, you know, two of my three years we won the national championship. But those guys were just as good on my own age group. But it was the first time I played my own age group in a long time. Um, but those guys challenged me every day. I, same thing. I was like, I, I'm, assume, I'm assuming I'm the worst player here and I have to work every conceivable day to get better. And so everything I did was about aspiring to be better and grinding and be coachable. And, uh, and, and that's what I look for when I recruit, to be honest. I look for those guys who look over overlooked and just constantly feel like they need to do more. And that's kind of how I always viewed everything. So, so who were some of the schools that were knocking at the door? Um, and then ultimately, why did you select American? That's a, it's a funny question because... <clears throat> America is probably my last on my list, but it, it, it was the most right at the time, right? So um, Rutgers, being from New Jersey, was always like, it was always there, and you always knew about Rutgers. Um, I looked at like UNC, Duke, Clemson, Vanderbilt, which doesn't have a team anymore, um, Georgetown, uh, lots of schools like that, but I only got hurt twice in my whole life. One was my junior going into my senior year, and once was my uh, senior year of college, with like two of the worst times. And uh, when I tried to play through injury, because like we go into these massive tournaments, yeah. I, I played through the injury and I was awful. To be honest, I couldn't kick a ball 20 yards correctly. It was I was poor. And so all the schools looked at me and they're like, this guy's not that good. No, and, I, 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 and I'm not denying. I'm like, yeah. look, you're not wrong. I would yeah. literally tell the coaches because I'm just like a truthful person. I'm like, no, I was not very good, but I'm, I'm telling you I'm better than this. But you, what you saw is, is what, it, what I gave. I wasn't good enough. Right. And so falling into American's lap per se, Bobby Jenkins was the coach at the time. He was Bruce Arena's assistant on the full national team. Uh, he also ironically went to my high school. And so he, he went to Pingree school and, and coached at American and he was phenomenal. And so he kind of built this incredible team. And uh, we started like eight, nine freshmen my freshman year. And then by my junior, senior year, we were unbelievable. We were like top 15 or sweet 16, all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, it's kind of how I felt kind of backwards into American. I wasn't, it wasn't high on my list, but then it ended up being, because at the end of the day, I didn't do well enough to go to some of those other schools. Got it. Go ahead, Jared. Yeah, and so you, you make it through the American days, and you had mentioned, um, and I'm going to kind of fast forward, and we'll dip and dodge here. You mentioned um, going to Connecticut right after that. I want to talk about um, your days getting to Atlanta. Um, Atlanta's awarded an MLS franchise, you're there. You're touted with uh, helping develop the academy. You have jobs with the second, first team. There's only rumors, and you'll confirm all this. But what I think is interesting is, as an assistant, you're right down the street here at SLU. Then you get the job here at Lindenwood, and St. Louis gets awarded their, their, their first team in their MLS franchise, and they start the academy first. Um, can you talk about the similarities? Did it bring back memories when you went to Atlanta and then when St. Louis is starting their academy? And, and, and how fortunate is it to, for you guys as college coaches to have these youth academies here, along with Scott Gallagher and Lou Fuse and all of our great clubs? But that's an interesting timeline for me, like you being a coach here at Lindenwood and, and starting that Atlanta franchise – did you see a lot of similarities going on? I mean, can you talk about the, the, the just the, the pros and cons of it all? 100%. That's uh, 
when I was at Louisville, um, I wasn't looking to leave Louisville. I wasn't looking to leave college soccer. I really loved where I was at, and I loved the coaching staff. And uh, But I kept getting inklings of what I thought Atlanta United could be and would be, and I totally was drinking the Kool-Aid. I was like, this place is the real deal. Like, this is going to change MLS. And, it, and then you're looking back on it, it totally did. Wow. It changed everything of how we looked at international recruiting, marketing, um, brands, uh, bringing in young guys instead of old guys like Schweinsteiger and nothing gets him. But yeah, uh, yeah, and, and just being on the field every day with these incredible young young athletes. And then and then you know we were in a dusty old trailer, and it's like every day you get, you're coughing out dirt. You know it was it was an awful setup. And then Atlanta then builds the best setup in the league, and everyone's copied it since. And so everything you see and read and hear about Atlanta United was the real deal. It was awesome. It was a wonderful time. I think some family dynamics for me changed and getting back into college was wonderful. And obviously ending up at SLU was, was tremendous. Right. Um, but then, you know, obviously a few minutes before the podcast, I was just around the corner, just watching training. And I literally told some of the coaches there who I know, I'm like, this is so refreshing because they, because every single player you work with wants to be more. Yeah. And I go, that's not the case. Maybe it's some other clubs or some other levels, and not that they're not doing a great job. Of course they are. And, not, and I said to them, I go, this, is, this can't be a one-stop shop. It's like everyone developed, especially Americans, we all develop at different times and ages, and some develop at 15, some at 23. So, um, but I go, you, one thing you always get from these kids in this market, and this is why it's so refreshing, is they all really aspire for higher things. So this is, I, I've heard you use the term, and, and you addressed it directly, St. Louis as a market, and now you're alluding to you know, your experience in Atlanta and some of the other collegiate programs and the markets that you're in. Um, and and we, we know it kind of inherently. We, we were born with it, living here. We understand that St. Louis soccer has this thing, but you are a Jer- you're a Jersey kid, right? And you've worked in deep in these other markets. How? It, what do you think it is about the St. Louis market, uh, from a player perspective or a community perspective? That, what What do we do right? You know, you you in, and I can't really say you're an outsider. You've now been here uh, six, seven years, yep. roughly. Yep. Um, that's that's a good amount of time. What sets St. Louis apart in your eyes compared to other quote soccer markets? It's very clear. the The DNA is woven through and through. Um, there's generations on generations of generations of families that all have been involved. In, I, I think it's almost like required here, like that you play soccer and just something you do and whether you're good at it or not, you did it. And then you know Johnny and Bobby and Sisty and, and Cindy and whoever like. You just constantly, someone you knew, played for Gallagher or Fuse or whoever it was, right? And uh, Bush. Bush. Yeah. <laughs> of course Bush, right? Or Jamie Marine on the girls' side. Mil- you know, Miller Lite like on the east side. Yeah, Miller Lite. <laughs> I mean, there's so many good clubs here. And, and I think the coaching education is phenomenal. I think the education that the kids get and you look around at the youth fields and you're just like, wow, that's high-level stuff. And, like, that's not – that might be a dad coaching but the dad stuff is high-level dad stuff, right? And so, um, you know, growing up in Jersey and playing a lot in Pennsylvania and stuff like that, it becomes more competitive earlier and less technical development. Um, And I hate to say that, but um, it's uber... Like, we always thought playing it, like, when the State Cup was a big deal, like, if we got out of State Cup, we thought we could win the national championship. Like, that's literally what it was, and probably we did. It's just, a state cup was harder than regionals, and it was harder than nationals. 
because the towns were so competitive with each other and there were so many good athletes and everybody could form a team that was like international or uh, whatever it may be and it was very very competitive but the foundational level of technical players and cerebral players is in, is incredible here and so like we, anywhere you go if i go get my you know oil changed or i go uh, to the doctor's office and you're wearing a soccer shirt of any badge of any team anywhere and Someone asked you a question about it. It's, you may yeah. or may not get a discount or an upcharge. That's right. right. <laughs> and then they'll ask me what high school I'm from, you know, <laughs> from there. <laughs> yeah, no, don't answer that question. <laughs> Go ahead, Zach. So you played at Delco. <clears throat> We've had uh, Dan Donegan on. Oh, Doogie. Former Jersey guy. Sure. Who That's one of those guys at the clubs he's talking about. He's coaching at SDA, Dan Donegan. Think about his pedigree. The guys you're referencing. Go ahead, Zach. But no, I mean, that's what I'm getting at. So Doogie's twice as old as the players and still better than them. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, he, he's, he's now got his roots deep here in St. Louis. It sounds like you're doing the same thing. And you are at a university. My sister played at Lindenwood um, in the mid-2000s. and Be careful. She's listening. I know. She's seven years younger than me, so she's <laughs> she'll be fine. She's not 40 yet, so she'll be okay. But one of the things that we found interesting in, in talking to other coaches and other players from other universities like, like uh, Clemson and Missouri State and places like that, the alumni have a massive impact on the direction of the program, or at least their thoughts on the direction of the program. With Lindenwood having gone from a D2 now to D1. NAIA first. Yeah, in, in a pretty rapid succession of years. Do you have connection with the alumni at Lindenwood? Is that a part of your culture building, or are they kind of just not? I'm, I'm, I'm completely ignorant on this. I'm just curious if yeah. what the alumni is impact is at Lindenwood. Yeah, I, I think when I took over, there wasn't a huge connection to the alumni. I think the previous staff had kind of known everybody, but like there wasn't a real transition to that. Um, and I think knowing, you know, you you you, you, you spend eighty percent of your time where eighty percent gets the, the payback, right? I don't want to spend over twenty percent. And it's not that the alumni aren't important. It's I needed to increase the talent level of the team, right? right. So I spent majority of my energy um, there, right? And so. Um, we've connected with a ton of alumni. They're so proud of, and, and you look back at some of those teams, and obviously we, we have a national championship to our program, right? And so, they're, I mean, one of the you know, coaches of St. Louis City's and won a national championship, and uh, his, his nephew's coming to our team next year as an well, incoming great. recruit. Um, and so, I just go around town, and you know, I stop at an event here, or a recruiting event there, and there's just like, oh, I played at Luna Wood, you're the coach, right? And I'm like, Wow, it's it's really cool to meet you, but like I, it's it's not enough in the short term. That to be honest with you, but at the same time, like I am a huge connector of people. I'm a relationship guy, um, so I unbelievably value people's experiences. And so, when you talk about our current guys, that's the only ones I control. Um, but I really, I I I value their college soccer experience intently. I don't like guys transferring. It's not my thing. Um, but at the same time, I can't control that. Like, if someone says, I want to play more, I don't mind that. Because at the end of the day, if I can't promise you more play time, then that's great. So, I, you know, so I think that, you know, you work with the current guys that I have, and I right. the ones I have to value the most. And then from there, I need to value, obviously, those who've laid, blazed the trail and, 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 and labored and, and worked and, and built the brand that we are and, and the national championship. And when we, um, 
we made the, the new logo for our school. Um, we made the soccer shield. And I probably spent three months making this logo. <laughs> and I swear, I spent every hour, I twisted and turned this logo 400 times. But I, the number one thing that with the logo, and I'm so proud of, and I think we got the logo perfect, was the star at the top because that reflected the history. Not maybe yeah. just not the ones who played there and they're in that area of the champion because there's many good players and yep. many good teams. Yep. But I needed to make sure that was reflected in the past and the alumni. And it's your that. brand going forward. Yeah. It's important. That's awesome. Do you think it took the Apple crew three months to come up with the Apple? <laughs> I you took a bite out of it. <laughs> hey, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna get some refills. We're gonna come back. We're gonna talk uh, all things recruiting. Uh, more soccer. Imagine, imagine that. Yep. Nah. More soccer. Yeah, soccer dad soccer pod. pod. Chris, you good? I'm good. Thank you. Enjoying yourself so far? Absolutely. All right. We'll be right back. Uh, we're gonna roll out with uh, Chris's pick for greatest all time Super Bowl halftime performer. Not a bad pick. Way better than Zach's. <laughs> Usher. Usher, Usher, Usher. That's awful. Iconic. <laughs> Iconic. <laughs> I am buying you roller skates for your birthday. Okay. We'll be right back. He's already got them, guaranteed. I'm Max, and I'm nine years old. When I'm not playing soccer, jumping on a trampoline, or playing Xbox, with permission, of course... I listen to the Baked In Podcast with Josh Allen. Josh talks to some of the most incredible business leaders in St. Louis. From Maxine Clark of Build-A-Bear to Gerard Kraft, the chief flavor officer for my favorite team, St. Louis City SC. There's something for everyone. If you're interested in the secret sauce of success, check out the Baked In Podcast. Now... Back to those old guys. We're back. We're back. Screw Second you. half. Screw YouTube. By the way, Chelsea did win. I've been holding that on you. Three to one. It's my boys. I mean, they were playing Crystal Palace. But. Hey, who's this? Hey. The king. Uh, <laughs> hey, how about this? The fact that he was dead for forever, and this song came back around and became a number one. Like what? Thirty years later, forty mm-hmm. years later, whatever it was. Yeah, woke up, woke up, sparked this song. You that. haven't been here for very long, and we have talked on mic, off mic, and I can tell music's important to you. And so you guys have he's, a lot in common. I. He's got a lot of music knowledge. Well, he's a Jersey kid, so I guarantee. How important is the boss to you? If he ran for governor, he'd win. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he See, was also a huge Elvis fan. Who wouldn't be? I mean, he snuck into Graceland. And they let him be. Yeah. He probably went upstairs, which no one else gets to do. He snuck, this is before he was Bruce Springsteen known to everybody. Yeah, who wins in the death match in your world? Is it John Bon Jovi or Bruce Springsteen? The boss, always. Yeah, the boss. Yeah. I, that, that was, yeah. Now, now, he would be the mayor of his... Bon, Bon Jovi would be the mayor of any town he wants to be, and then or the vice president and boss. Boss could run for president. Actually, he should. To be fair, <laughs> him, and, him and Obama are pretty tight. Uh, <laughs> he would do well. He would do well. <laughs> He's got a podcast with Obama. Let's not he? go too far, guys. No, we're not talking <laughs> politics. No, but I, I, I. So I had dinner with well, Max Weinberg. Well, your guy Toby Keith can't. Oh, oh. too 
soon? <laughs> Too soon? Yeah. I thought it was a week. No, but I had dinner Max. when I was in college with Max Weinberg, and he was a drummer for Bruce sure. Springsteen, the E Street Band. And he told that story about how Springsteen was obsessed with Elvis, so much so that he drove to Memphis and snuck into, like, jumped the fence at Graceland and got caught. Wow. Well, I mean, th- th- those, those stories are abundant from those artists, Elvis in the 50s and Chuck Berry in the late 50s, early 60s. All, all those artists that were kind of pre-British invasion, I mean, they, they were, there was no competition. They, they, well, were, they were literally the only thing on rock and yeah, roll radio. Yeah, and, and the other story about Springsteen, and it came out just recently about St. Louis. And he was here, played a concert, and then went to, I don't know, it was a movie or a restaurant, and he ran to this, this young couple, became friendly with them, and they're like, he's like, oh, I'm kind of hungry. You want guys want to go somewhere? And the guy's like, well, we can go back to my house. <laughs> they went to his house yeah, out in true. like Maplewood. Yeah. And his mom was asleep. And, she, and he said, I heard him go into the room and say, hey, mom, uh, we're going to make some food. Bruce Springsteen's here. <laughs> and she goes, huh? who's Bruce Springsteen and why is he in our house right now? <laughs> and so she woke up and made eggs for Bruce Springsteen and, and the other folks. Wow. Just a cool story. Another St. Louis connection and Jersey. Well, and Well, the actual real, uh, I don't know if I should say this on air, but the uh, my actual favorite band of all time is Guns N' Roses. And we all oh, know yeah. how that ended in St. Louis back yeah. in the 93 they R- owe us River one. Riot. They, they well, owe no, us. no, they did. And then I had tickets for that concert. And guess what? Of all their entire tour, guess which one got canceled? Oh, of St. course Louis. they did. Yeah. They knew what they were doing. And I had tickets in Wrigley Field. That got canceled. So uh, Axel's a lunatic. but Axel's a good uh, Fort Wayne boy, right? Didn't he grow up in Indiana? Indiana, Indiana, yeah. Yeah, I remember that too, man. Because when that album dropped, eighty-seven, yep, I believe. Dude, we were hanging out at the pool, playing volleyball, and Appetite for Destruction was just—it was great. Those are those. You don't make those albums anymore. They don't exist. So when we come to a Lindenwood game, will you be playing Guns N' Roses over the loudspeaker? It's required by law. <laughs> otherwise, I, otherwise, I don't Which coach. Which song? I don't You're coach. my new favorite team. What's your, uh, what's your walk-up song? You're not going to want to hear this because it's not like, like, I don't, like, Welcome the Jungle is so popular. You're, you're going to be like, I used to love Patience. Oh, it, it, I love well, that one. Well, that's great, but not going into a game. I don't want patience. Like, everybody Paradise calm City. down. Everybody calm down. I don't know. Like, it's. Rocket Queen or Mr. Brownstone or oh, Night Mr. Train. Brownstone would be great. If you're talking about Appetite for Destruction. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, right. the old All stuff. Right. Well, now that we've settled the important stuff, <laughs> let's 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 talk recruiting. That's what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, because um, you've spent the majority, you know, in kind of looking at the the the, the programs you were at, your role, your title. You probably have spent more of your 365 days a year at each of these institutions focusing on the next wave, the next player, the recruiting process. Uh, am, I, am I close? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the number one thing is, the most important thing is your assets, people, whether that's your players or your staff. And, and I sincerely believe that. You, and I, but I'm not one to always say like, oh, once I got somebody or a recruit, I, look, I start looking somewhere else. I am such a believer of what you have. Focus on that. So, that's awesome. So let's go back to the first program. Out of college, you go to UConn. Um, and what, what I'm curious about is 
the levels of involvement with the recruiting process and what you've gleaned from it. Because you, from a personal standpoint, as a player uh, at the club level, at the high school level, at the collegiate level, you know, you talk about your own personal drive to don't just settle being the best one or two and ride that wave. You're always challenging yourself. When you started getting into recruiting, out of the gate, what were you looking for? Were you looking for players like you, or were you focused on trying to take in the team's culture, the check marks, you know, and filling what the team wanted? Or, or answer it this way, if you want, the non-negotiables. Like, what are, I mean, yeah, like, it. think about that way. Like, what are some non-negotiables in a player that you see back then or now? And, and I know the players have evolved a little bit. Um, love to get your take on that you know what i mean yeah when i when i started uconn i as i mentioned earlier it was it was a special opportunity to join the top five program in the country yeah. uh, i was there four years um in all four years we were ranked either one or number two in the country all four years so wow you're talking about high level student athletes now when if i was to recruit some of those teams i would say wow i mean I would not have recruited some of them because I thought they were so athletic and maybe didn't have the cerebral part. But when you look at it, the one thing my role, and, and to the beginning of, of what you're asking, was my role was different. I wasn't the head coach. I wasn't the top right. assistant coach. So my role was less. And so when I got into this, my focus became relationships. And I, I was that in general. But I said, I thought like, hey, my role and value is going to be Whatever you're getting hammered, I'll come in on the other side of the coin and start building you back up. And when you're doing really well, I'll, I'll certainly support that. And then when you need a friend or this that, and the other, I will find my value within that. And if you need extra work, too. I'm the first one there. I'll be the last one, of the first one to feel, last one to leave. I'll do extra work. I'll have a friendship. And guys would end up gravitating to me. Uh, not that the other staff. The other staff was incredible. We had an unbelievable staff. Um, but you have to know your role, right? And it's the law of the totem pole. I wasn't at the top, I was at the bottom. So, you know, you kind of find your value. And I think, you know, when, it, when I would say this to anybody who will listen, any roster that I've ever coached at, UConn, Syracuse, Xavier, Louisville, SLU, Atlanta United, whatever, you can almost go up and down that roster. Player 10, player 17, 22, whatever the name is, number, whatever, you could probably put your finger on it. If there was a text message or a phone number or an email, reach out to that person, ask them how I treated them. And they will probably say very highly, and they probably have a high regards to say of me. And that's not to pat myself on the back. It's just I treated them well, and I cared about them, and I loved them, and uh, I tried to always do what's best for them. And I think my time at UConn was simply more of that. And as you move up in the coaching world, you get more responsibility, and it becomes a little bit more transactional, which I don't love, but at some point it has to become a little bit more about winning, losing, or finances. Yeah. I wasn't having some of those deep conversations about scholarships, but you start to realize that you start, that's the fun side of coaching, and then it gets a little bit more difficult where as the head coach, you have to make some tough decisions, and you're not always the good guy, you're sometimes the bad guy, you know? So which, which program was it in this path where you, you, know, you woke up one day and you're like, you know what, I'm now able to, uh, I understand the culture that we have here at said program, I know what coach wants, I'm, you know, we're on par, I get to go and find the players that fit. When were you really, instead of like, you know, reading the instruction manual from a 
process. The, the totem pole. Wait, yeah. Mm-hmm. When when were yeah exactly when were you you know middle top of the you know in the in that realm in that role to make those calls and and what did that mean to you as a as a coach as a recruiter? Yeah, and I think. You know, Coach Reed is out of the equation of college soccer now, but you have to look at Coach Reed at, at UConn when I was there. He's one of the top coaches of all time in college soccer and serial winner. The guy is a total winner, right? He wanted to win as badly as anybody, and everything he did in the program wasn't just about the X's and O's. It was about doing marketing, fundraising, travel. Every conceivable thing in the program was done at an A-plus level, and that's why it was actually hard to leave uh, even though I wanted to take on more responsibility. But when you see someone who does everything at the highest degree and the players know that the staff is doing everything for you, it's a pretty awesome thing. Um, and so taking that knowledge, I felt I was prepared to go almost anywhere in the country from my knowledge and tutelage. And, that, you know, I, I worked very long. I was getting to the, the you know, when I would open, I had the keys of the gym. I would get in the gym at 5 a.m. We'd train at 5 a.m. to 6.15, and I was coaching uh, badminton and doing soccer. I was a professor at UConn for two classes. Then I go to the office for eight, nine, ten hours, and I would be getting home at eleven after coaching at night. I would get home at eleven thirty, twelve at night for oh, little to no money. Oh, zero dollars. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. When, <laughs> we say little money. I was making zero dollars for four years, um, and I was the first director of soccer operations in the country. So any any uh, program out there, men's or women's, that says they have a director of soccer ops making money, they can thank me because I was making zero. <laughs> You're like the Kurt Flood. Uh, yeah. yeah, there you go. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'm wearing a cape, uh, director of soccer ops cape. Um, so, but I knew the knowledge I was gaining was so worth the lack of money I was making, and wow. I was starving and doing all this stuff. But I didn't complain. Don't you know? You just kind of you're learning from the best, and, and the, the, not just coach, but all whole staff is unbelievable. And uh, Paul McDonough is now he runs the USL. Kevin Bacher, um, Dane Brenner, we had everybody, uh, Coach Dealey, like we had everybody. And I, I was such a sponge. And like I said, if anyone had better coaches or worked with other people better than me, then, you know, wonderful for them. But I had unbelievable coaches I worked with. So the last time I saw you was at the airport. We were in line security. And I asked you if you were going to Detroit because we were going for a, a college showcase with a bunch of, of D1 coaches uh, for our boys. And you're like, no. Nope. I'm going to Vegas because you were going to do another recruiting trip, but in a much warmer, nicer climate. He chose wisely. He did because we got, <clears throat> first of all, our flight was canceled that night. We had to come back at 6 a.m. The, the next morning. And then our flight home was canceled on a Sunday. So I think you made the wiser choice by going to Vegas. But what I want to get to is now that you are the guy, you are the head coach at Lindenwood at a, 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 a program that you get to build are you starting to kind of formulate in your head how you want to start recruiting at a a different level because now you're in year two jb always talks about the draft mentality do you just take the best 11 athletes you can find put them in or are you kind of trying to build out a program where there's a mix of transfers mix of american kids versus international because we've had a lot of coaches on that have a very different mix for their recruiting class. And you've kind of alluded to it, but I really want to get into that a little bit with you, kind of your philosophy on kind of the makeup of your team. Yeah, I think every program's in a different stage of where they are. Maybe the coach just got a new contract. Maybe it's in the last year. Um, maybe you're in a new conference. Like, everyone's got a different situation. I literally can't comment on any of those, those programs. But 
I, I wouldn't change how I would do it, regardless if I'm in a first-year program or a, a program that I'm taking over a national championship team. I always think you build a house from the foundation up. You don't put the roof on and the walls and... You know, or you build a mansion, you fill it with Ikea furniture. No offense to <laughs> Ikea, but um, I'm such a foundational get that right first, and then you can talk about anything, but you have to get your culture right. So I spend every single day, every single message with the team, every pre-post-game message, every time with the lock, every time with the team special, and you need to treat it like that. And so everything I do is culture-based. And so um, I'm very fortunate that I was able to bring three guys over from SLU and uh, they talked very highly about the culture that we built in such a short time and um, you know and, and so I'm very fortunate that like I, I have people surrounding me I, I believe culture for me is 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 not from me it's it's how much they're willing to fight for it and so the guys are willing to fight for the culture every day and so that makes it easier for me to, to build a roster and so I don't want a bunch of transfers where they come and go in a year and it's transactional. I don't want transactional guys, and not that tra uh, transfers are bad. No, by no means. It's the way of life now. Um, and I just want them to value what we're doing. If, yeah. if, if, and not every, and, you know, I think you know, long-winded answer would be most guys, whether they come from high school or somewhere, they go to college and they realize maybe it isn't as good as they thought or maybe it's not as sexy as I thought or whatever and then they, they let their hair down a little bit and then they transfer to what's more reasonable easy for them or and easy. like hey wow I looked for this at a college now I'm actually looking for what's best for me and that's where Linwood and some other places do a great job let me let me toss a follow up to that because it's one thing you know culture culture is a combination of characteristics and habits right you mix that together over time and that builds your culture over the long run what if you had to define it though like if if a potential player is listening to this and you're and you talk about culture as the foundational bedrock of your program and that's what you focus on out of the gate you know because you to a degree you kind of expect the x's and o's from a soccer perspective to be there otherwise nobody's going to be in the conversation but if you were to describe the culture what does that look like Little things like if you were to walk by something that doesn't look right and you just look by it, look at it and you walk by it and you just walk by it, that's bad culture. For me, it's it's you it, piece of garbage, you pick it up. It, it's it's something's not right, you, you do it. You do something, you change it. Um, I want our guys to shake people's hands. I want people to look them in the eye. I want them, if you say you're going to be there at 5.30, you be there at 5.30. Um, or 5.25. Yeah, even earlier, right? <laughs> if you're, you're on time, you're late. Um, so... We, I, I'm a builder of culture where you just do more. And we say this phrase all the time, winners do more. Winners make the rules, losers live by them. And so um, I'm a big fan of doing more. And I say winning's hard. And, and if you want to win, you want to do big time things in your life, do more. Don't, don't make excuses. You're not tired. Someone else is tired too. But guess what? You got to do more. And so um, everything we do, we do more community service. We do more in the classroom. We do more everywhere. And I will hold guys out of practice if they're not getting their academics done and if we're not doing our community service. And it's not to check a box. It's you've got to actually like doing this. This is Hold something that should be holistic. In, yeah. And believe in it. And so yeah. we're, we're, you know, resiliency, selflessness, and trustworthy are our three core pillars. And so um, I won't recruit anybody who doesn't fit those things. And I'm adamant about it because I don't want to spend time with someone who's not what I believe in. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Let, let, let's talk about Linda Wood specifically. 
Um, Lindenwood University, St. Charles, First Capital. Uh, people often call it a gem. I mean, um, if you have not been to the campus, talk about Lindenwood and the opportunity that you have and the student athletes that are coming to you have. Because I think that athletic department, what's going on at Lindenwood is extremely exciting um, with, with the, with the um uh, the new division and the ball that you guys have rolling once you get the culture right which by your history and by all of the coaches that are around here Missouri State Kevin Kalish they all speak very highly of you it's going to be like shooting fish in a barrel because of what Lindenwood offers as a collective group can you talk about Lindenwood a little bit yeah, it's funny, you know, living in Linu, uh, sorry, St. Louis for five years prior to taking the job, and I all I heard was Linwood, 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 Linwood. I'm like, I got to check out this place. And yeah. so I, I actually went in the fall before getting hired, and I literally pulled around the corner. I was like, oh my God, look at this place. What in the world? What? Why is this not Division One or big time? And and then I went to Division One. I'm like, wow, this is a gold mine. And uh, you said the word gem, and we kind of call it, say, a hidden gem. So when you look at the history of the school, there's probably no school in the country that went from NAIA to Division Two to Division One faster. And, no. And so you look at that, and you say, why? Usually it's a basketball team or a football team that says, hey, we're going, so everyone else is going with us. And it's not, it, it, it's not good for everybody, but it's good for one sport. And that's not true at Lindenwood. Almost everybody has an unbelievable facility. Um, the wow. campus is beautiful. The price of price affordability. The um, you know private school education, like you said, St. Charles. Like this is a reason why this school has won over a hundred national championships in a multitude of sports in the last twenty years. This isn't one sport winning ten in ten years, and and then no one else wins. It is so easy to recruit here because if you step foot on this campus, you're realizing you're blown away. You don't get this very often many places. Oh, by the way, it's probably half the price of somewhere else. And so this Linenwood is just, I, when I saw it, I was like, I'm going to coach here and I'm going to love this. And I'm, I'm not a used car salesman, so I don't like selling what I don't believe in. I believe in this place. I got to ask, okay, resume, uh, uh, um, uh, Connecticut. Xavier, SLU, all these guys, like, and we need to talk about the, your years at SLU a little bit. Um, Atlanta United, you get your first head coach job. Somebody from an outsider looking in might be like, with this guy's resume, how does he go to Lindenwood? It's because of all the things you just explained. Lindenwood can be that dynamic and is that dynamic moving forward. It, 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 it's, I, I, I'm excited for you guys. I'm excited for the university because go there, check it out. It's phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, uh, I probably was well-equipped to be a head coach earlier. The head coaching title does not wow me. Um, yeah, yeah. People like, what, what's different? Nothing. I, I don't change any anything I do because I'm a head coach. You have head in front of associate head coach or whatever. It, it doesn't matter to me. So now, at the end of the day, I get to make the final say on decisions. I'm going to make mm -hmm. some hard decisions. That's the only difference that's really different. But um, Well, money. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, you just want to go where you're happy. And if you look at the list of schools I've been at, I have, I've had tons of opportunities to go other places along the road. Yep. I only want to go places I believe in. And that's, maybe I'm arrogant in that way, but I, I don't like going places that's and okay. cities that I don't like being in. And I don't want to live in Siberia to go coach soccer and, uh, you know, in the great white tundra of the Is north. Is Siberia and, code for Kansas City? 
<laughs> I love what you just did there, Jerry. <laughs> you know, let me, let me ask you this. Um, I, I want to get back into the recruiting a little bit more because I believe that that is really, you know, at this stage of the game is a, is, is a big part of your one-year, three-year, five-year plan. Um, and we talk about this often. It's one of my favorite questions, and it's the whole it factor. You've went into great uh, depth, uh, great length here in describing kind of the, the culture you want. You, you, you want those kids that, again, are paying attention, that are being empathetic, that are just good humans. But let's talk about the soccer side. When you go out there, because you've, you've had the privilege and experience of not only playing with you know, the, t- you know, you know, the, the, the top-level players in our nation, but you've been at programs where you've seen it year in, year out, over and over and over again. When you look for players on the field, what are some of those intangibles that you look for to be considered? Because hypothetically, you know, you go to these showcases, you're going to go watch some teams, uh, be it a uh, Austin FC or whoever the academy is, and you know, look, all these kids know how to play soccer. But what are you looking for on the field that maybe sets them apart a little bit? Yeah, I think, you know, you look today different than three, five years ago. Almost every kid is good. They're, they're good. They're, their spacing is right. Their technical ability is right. They're well coached. Um, and that actually makes the recruiting harder because everybody looks somewhat the same. Like, they're all good. Like you, There's not a ton of great. There's no bad players. So... That that's a, that's a really difficult question, but when you when you dive into that, then you say honesty for me is always the number one thing. So when I go and recruit, and this could be my secret sauce revealed, um, I love three, four, five day events when people are tired and banged up, and it's cold and no one's there, and it's you know whatever. And like I'll stay the last possible minute and watch because your habits on the last day when you're tired and physically beat up and no one's there versus the first three four days. That's the real you. That's a version of you that, like, when when I we get to the playoff time and you're banged up and no one's 100% ever during this college season, it's you know it's a lot in a short period of time. That's honesty, right? And so um, I watch a lot of body language. Body language. I'm a body language expert in terms of like watching how you respond to coaching, how you respond to referees, your co- your teammates. Um, I think that's that's a lost art. A lot of coaches look for it. Again, I'm not judging, but a lot of coaches look for just talent levels and like, oh, I'll fix that. I'll fix that. It's like, yeah, well, you maybe, and that's up to you. Like, it's not my program. <laughs> can't, but can't fix shithead. And I'd rather not. <laughs> you know, what I mean, like, so maybe I do miss on a lot of guys that I just pass on, and uh, I'd rather say I'd rather work with a coachable ball of clay and, and mold that guy. And I look for coachability guys who are like, yes, coach, I'll do that. I'll do the best version of that. I don't need the best players. I, I will be very, very clear. I don't need best players. I need the most coachable, honest, willing to get the best version of them, and I, I'll coach you for days on end. Well, I, I think that, I mean, it's worth mentioning on our show, um, the body of work. I mean, here, you, Kevin, and Kevin, a couple of years ago, you guys, after a season gets over with, you guys slew signs nine guys professional contracts. Um, and they go play. What do you guys do the next year, which is reloading, and it's the culture and who you had in the program, you guys win the A-10 the following year. How, how, how much gratifi- uh, gratification did you guys get as a group after 
turning that team over and having that success and coming back and winning, you know, towards the end of your tenure there. I mean, that that's a pretty remarkable feat. No, it's it's funny because everyone talks about the, the 2021 team and the team was obviously loaded, um, undefeated to the lead eight, and we thought we had a real good chance to win the national championship. And yeah. but in a muddy pitch out in Washington, and you play that game a lot, we probably don't win that game on a muddy pit. Probably play on a nice field, we probably win that game. Yeah, that so game. be it. That's that's what happened, right? Um, F that game. <laughs> oh, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> you said it before I did, um, but. Look, that's that's what happened, and so yeah. uh, you know, losers make excuses, and winners just find ways, and so we just keep moving on. So instead of sulking and crying about it, we you know we lost, which I wouldn't say lost, I'd say we gained because eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve players or whatever from that team end up signing pro contracts. Yeah, um, and you're sitting here being like. The pluses and minuses of a successful team is you get seen and you get recognized and you uplift guys and that's wonderful. That's actually you're you're helping fulfill their dreams. That was the wonderful side of it. The hard side of it is you got to reload. Now everybody says, "Oh, you guys did an unbelievable job." I think we were like coaching staff of whatever the region or nation or whatever that stuff was, right? But we actually laugh. We go, "Our best coaching job was the following year, and we lost everybody, and we." took a team that was blue collar and honest and, and in our system and we won it again and we we almost went undefeated in conference which wow. one thing we learned after we went undefeated in nine, uh, 2021 we're the first team since 1993 to go undefeated in conference any school that's remarkable and then we almost did it again we were only six seconds away or seven seconds away from doing it again in one game um, that to us was like that's coaching when you take a whole new group of team awesome. and, and they, you develop them. You use the term that I want <clears throat> to frame my next question on, and that is blue collar. You know, and, and that team that came back and basically totally outkicked their coverage, right? Um, what, what, and where I'm going with this is kind of the state of development, youth, and when I when I say that, I'm really talking about really 14, 15 up to 18, 19, 20-year-old range with academies, with where these kids are are playing now and their path to either homegrown slash pro and then obviously the collegiate route. And my question is pertaining to when you look at the landscape, how do you view the balance between the competitive, not not competitive nature, but the developmental nature, the the high intensity, the rotation, the system, the process in the academy world, with that being the focus, with so many of the MLS clubs, they want players. They you know their their goal is to develop pro players, and then in your world, the goal is to a degree develop players a little bit, but you want to win. And in the academy world, winning is not on the tip of the tongue of a lot of these programs. It's player development. How do you view that? Uh, is it a benefit? Is it a is it a negative? Are we are we are they imbalanced too far? Um, because a lot of these kids at the MLS Next level, they they don't get upset when they lose. Let's just call I, it I got a part B to this too. After you know what, and you know where I'm going with this. So let's talk about development versus winning. How do you view those, and and what would you like to see out of the academy level? And I can say it real quick. Why can't development and winning be one and the same? I and mean, we could talk about this for the next eight weeks. Yeah, and I'm happy to come on for all the time. Um, 
I'm a competitor, so you're going you're gonna to talk to somebody who says, I think winning does matter. Now, when you talk about really, really young levels, I think that's foolish to say that. I think competitiveness in kids needs to be created, but you have to have that natural competitiveness. Um, you see coaches who are like 15, 16, like, oh, I beat your team. It's like, well, I know this, but this kid's life sentence is over in like another year or two. His career is over. He, he's not going to be any better than what you're trying to win. No one cares if you win a title at 14, 15, 16, 17, and whatnot. Like, you're doing a disservice to the kid. But the Developmental Academy does an unbelievable job coaching details and learning. But, like, are we, you're, you're catering to the 1% or 2%. The other 20, 30%, my numbers are obviously off, are going to go to college or not play soccer. And then the other 80, 70, 60% are not playing soccer in college. It's very difficult to play at the collegiate level. It doesn't matter. NIA, Division II, Division I, it doesn't matter. It's hard. So do I think that we've lost sight? Look, so if you're asking me, and I would do this in an elevator speech here in the next 30 seconds, would say <laughs> uh, winning matters competitiveness matters ingrained in technical development but the coach matters to get that right that 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 equation is a slippery slope winning is, is important and you also need to create that internally but it's not everything but having said that i think we've lost like americans do a lot of things right but we also have the biggest waste of resources and talent of any yes. nation in the country you telling me that we can't form six national teams to be better than almost every country in the world we have so many gifted athletes we have talented players and like we just waste our resources and assets so i think you could take a team in the northeast and win competitively in the world cup but we we, we you, waste you our talent it out of here in the midwest in 1950 100 <laughs> you know how many st louis guys right yeah. and so for me it's like we can focus on the macro or the micro what do we want to get and we have to decide that and so again this is why i said it could be an eight-week answer is like we got to decide what we want. Americans are competitive. Americans talk SHIT. They, 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 they jump high. They run fast. We do all the things. That is a major foundation to what we do. Don't take that away from the athlete. They're competitive. Let them happen. Let athletes be athletes. Now get the foundational skill behind that and really teach them to say competitiveness and technical skill and coaching. There, there's your product. Boom. Weston McKinney, I remember watching this guy when he was like 14 or 15. I'm being like, Dude, this guy is so arrogant. He's so arrogant, but he backed it up, and he he would play attacking mid, center mid. He'd go up top. He'd go anywhere, and like he wanted to win. I go, this guy is gonna make it. I don't know what position, but now you see when you watch him in the national team, you're watching that arrogance come through with he technical. He hates to lose. Interesting. He's unbelievable. He yeah. But you go know, ahead. you see that. But that's he was one off. You don't see that very often. It's disappointing because I think that's in a lot of kids, and you're seeing that less and less. And I want, I personally want to see that more and more. I don't really have a follow-up question to that because I think you've, you've answered most of the questions that we've asked, but I, I did this one other show and I'm going to do it again because I loved the response, which is, you know, you're on here and part of our audience is looking for answers on the questions that we ask around how do you get your kid prepared for academy, prepared for high school, prepared for college. And you've answered a lot of those questions. So is there something that we should know about your program at Lindenwood that we haven't asked about. Meaning you're trying to recruit, I would imagine, from this market as sure. much as you can. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Save on budget time. And Absolutely. You also know the pedigree. So is there another pitch that you would throw out there or something that we haven't talked about about your program, maybe your staff, the, the facilities, the 
athletic department, the school. Or the piles of cash. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. NIL is another conversation. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but, uh, so is there another pitch that you'd like to make for your program at Linwood? I don't like using the word pitch or marketing or sales because that's seems artificial. No, and I'm just taking your words and spinning them. But um, you guys have been on campus. You've seen it yourselves. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would tell anybody like, it, look, if you're close by, get on this campus. You got to see this place. You got to see the facilities. Long way from the trailers that people used to live in and go to class. Hundred percent. Fifteen years ago. Hundred <laughs> percent. You know, our facilities are amazing. The campus is beautiful. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's just an incredible place, right? So. Um, now, if you're from farther away, then maybe you you make if it, if it, if you value Linwood, come check it out. If if you can't afford it, no problem. Then we'll send you videos and pictures and you know whatever. But my number one thing is just see it. We don't have a brand name of Stanford and Duke and all these other ones, which is fine. It doesn't. This is why I took the job. I knew what I was getting into, but it's okay. I, I'm not bothered. That doesn't bother me. I don't want people to come as a follower. I want people to come as a pioneer and yeah. realize that this place is different. And this you is why builders. I signed up for it. I want builders. You and want builders. You don't want, uh, you know, renovators because that's what. I'm not I, transactional. I, like I yeah. want guys who invest and want this. And my my current team is unbelievable. I love these guys. And I and I truly buy into cool. them because they bought into me. And, I, and I'm super supportive of these guys. Talk about, um, because I, I follow uh, your guys' um, socials and, and whatnot, um, talk about because of the newness of your staff and, and what you're trying to do and what you're trying to build, um, I think it's important for you to talk about ID camps. Um, you have a lot of ID camps. I, I feel like you have more ID camps throughout the year than St. Louis University. I could be flat out wrong, or maybe I'm just seeing them. And then also, talk. yeah, their social media is better. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> right. So, so I think that's important, and 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 I think I feel like the only reason you're doing that is to solely recruit out of those camps. Can, can you speak about the camps? I've always valued camps as a major way to connect with people, um, and and when you're proud of what you have to offer, it's easy to like. There's a lot of people come from all over the country to yeah. come to our camps, yeah. and then they leave. They're like, "Oh my God, you have! I got to tell my neighbor, my cousin, my brother, your teammates. I got to tell them about this place because awesome. look, it, no, it, when you're in NAI in Division Two, you you don't have a, they don't really expand that region too much. Now we're in Division One. I, I need I need to expand that, and so we need to get in some hotbeds of Texas and California and Cal and Florida and whatnot. Um, but in a day, like you said. Originally, it was like this this local market, this local regional market is my hotbed, and this is where I have to thrive because our brand name is strongest here. But I not only believe in camps, I value the details within camps, and I and I truly want to build relationships as fast as I can, and uh, and I care, and we don't just roll the balls out and play 11v11 all day, and then we take your money, and we pocket it, and we go. Like, no, we, we want to know everything about you. We scout you. We recruit you. We talk about you. We watch your video. We build relationships. Like, And I have probably per camp, I've gotten at least, on average, at least one to two, sometimes three kids per camp recruited on every school I've ever been at. So I value the camps. I feel like the camp atmosphere, just playing the game and being around it in my life, uh, as a savvy coaching staff, 
you guys can put kids in position in different drills and or different life skills within the camp setting, whether it's eating, moving around through the uh, university, where you can really watch kids yeah. under your eye yeah. to see how they react, which is you've got them here and they're paying take, for the camp. Take, it just makes sense. Take take that hammer that you see that rolls into camp, put them, put, put them on the bottom third team, right? You know, put put them put them on a, a, a scrimmage to struggle and have everybody coming at them a thousand. How does miles he react? <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know well, that's it. And so you, you you see, okay, this guy happens to be we we split the four teams evenly. He's on the best team. All right, let's switch a couple of guys, not just him. Let's switch the other guy. See how he does. Yeah. Oh, now his team's losing. Oh, here comes the palms up and finger pointing versus yeah. the thumb pointing, right? And so um, that kind of stuff. And then you realize, oh. Oh, I'm getting a little tired, a little, little, little this. Okay, okay. Well, guess what? This it, it's an endurance test. Like the the one day camps, the two day camps are hard. They're physically taxing. But guess what? College soccer is very demanding and taxing, and the season's too short, and there's too many games. So, those who survive and and choose to do more always find ways to do more, which are typically the guys that you know cream rise to the top. Those are the guys we look at and say, hey, last man standing. That's awesome. I love it. Love so. It. I'm gonna I'm gonna slowly start to roll us out here. Um, gotta ask you, upcoming season. What uh, what date do you have circled? Do, do, do you have a uh, a team circled on your upcoming season that you can't wait for that game? And does it happen to be anybody in our backyard? <laughs> you're, you're lining up. You're putting the ball on the tee, and you're looking at me to hit this out the out of the park. I'm right? horrible at <laughs> golf. I'm handing you the driver. Okay. Um, These guys can concur. Well, the, the number one date is the first day of preseason because that's the official day I got to work with the guys. So that's the yes. layup answer to your question. Um, the next question is the first game of the season. So um, we don't, I'm not one to look past that. Um, and I'm not one to create artificial stuff because I think, you know, naive coaches artificially, nice job with the boss, by the way. Um, of course. They look down the road, and what ends up happening is you hiccups and you hit the speed bumps before that. And so what you end up you having up and down performances. So I am one, just focus on the now. You don't control five days from now, ten days from now. You only focus on what's ahead of you because it does you no good to beat the best team in the country and lose to the worst the next day or the yeah. game before. And so consistency is a big thing of mine. And if you've you know looked at anywhere I've ever been, we always win and always gets better, right? And so, you know, what we did in the first year is, is what we did, and our record's what our record was, and uh, obviously it was greatly improved from the previous year, but for me, it wasn't good enough. Like, I thought we were way better than that, and you can call referees and this, that, and the other, but when referees apologize to me after the game, I'm like, yeah, I know you got that wrong. <laughs> that, that's an awesome answer, and that's what you should say. After we jump off here, will you tell us what yeah, game you're Yeah, I want to know, who, is it a 10 spot, a 20 spot? Do all three of you guys have a secret pool going? Well, we'll get that out off of the mics here. Hey, Chris, this has been a real pleasure, dude. Uh, appreciate, appreciate you coming it. in and, you know, really wish you the best of luck, you know, because uh, you fell in love with the town that we all love for a whole multitude of reasons. You know, really wish you the best of luck. I appreciate it, guys. I, I appreciate it. You guys do an awesome job, and it's so great to see how many unbelievable soccer people, not just coaches, but you, you guys do an awesome job. And I appreciate, appreciate that. It. Thank you for inviting me numerous times, and I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, next time we'll do it in the backyard because, actually, you're, you're just on the road from me, man. We'll do it over in the in the Webster. Let's do it at Grant's Farm. Let's hang out with, well, with Clydesdales. I will do it, yeah. We'll hey. do a video with Clydesdales I, in the yes. background. How about an on-site game? You know, oh, how about, let's go do a game at Lindenwood. I mean, if it's that much of a gem, they need to have this gem. 
The backdrop will be unbelievable. Our yeah. stadium. Heck yeah. The stadium's hey, awesome. man, Let's go. We'll be, we'll be in touch, man. We'll come out. We'll obviously keep following what's going on, and uh, we'll uh, we'll have you back probably after the season. Get a little recap. Right. Go from there, man. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much. Cool. Thanks, Jared. Thank you. Zach, as always. You guys did okay. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate the uh, mediocre re- review. Yeah, we're out of here. Hey, Maggios, thank you for hosting. I'm going to roll us out with the boss. Until next time.